In this episode, we learn about one of the new desktop environments for the BSDs. If you're familiar with computers at all, anything before Windows 8 and that mess that that is, if you're used to any kind of standard desktop system, you'll be perfectly fine with Lumina. Don't tell anyone I'm free. Don't tell anyone I'm free. Welcome to BSD Talk number 244. It's Wednesday, August 27, 2014. Well, here's the interview, fresh out of the oven. Tonight on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Ken Moore. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me here. I wanted to talk to you today a little bit about one of the projects you've been working on, which is a desktop environment for, well, I guess maybe the BSDs in general. So, yep. uh, yeah, you know, give me, I guess, a little background on what this Lumina is. Uh, Lumina is a brand new, from scratch, desktop environment specifically written for uh, the BSD family of operating systems. And specifically, I am developing it on FreeBSD and or PCBSD. So um, I suppose that's the putting it in a nutshell, but basically it's lightweight. And the other major difference between it and other desktop environments, at least you know, at a foundational level, is that it's BSD licensed as well. It is not under the GPL. And yeah. Now, when we say desktop environment, there's a lot packaged into that. So maybe we could start to peel back some of the layers of what a desktop environment is versus a window manager toolkits and everything else. So I guess what are the components involved in Lumina and what are the parts that Lumina sits on top of? Okay, well, let's start with a couple of the basics. Uh, first off, a tool, the graphical toolkit. Uh, Lumina uses Qt for that, and specifically I'm using Qt4 at the moment. Um, and that is basically a way to draw stuff on the screen. Qt is a cross-platform toolkit, so it works on BSD, it works on Linux, it works on Windows, it works pretty much everywhere completely identically. So I just need to write something once in Qt, and people can build it and run it anywhere they want. That's the graphical toolkit. A window manager is an underlying system, usually a back-end process, which is catching all the signals that are being sent off saying, oh, there's an application window opening up. I'm going to make sure and put a border around it so that you have a couple quick and easy controls to, say, minimize it or maximize it or close the window or, you know, simple window controls and where to put them on the desktop. So you can click and drag and drag that window and move it over to the side or make it bigger or smaller. That's what the window manager does. It handles all of that and makes sure that everything plays nicely on the same screen. Um, QT, uh, Lumina uses a, a Fluxbox window manager in the back end because Fluxbox is MIT licensed, which is also very, very similar to the BSD license. So again, trying to keep uh, similar back ends together. So when do all of these components become a desktop environment? Uh, desktop environment, uh, Lumina basically runs these things in the background and brings them all together. The desktop environment and the window manager is great for one piece when you have one window here, one window here, and you just want to do that and never want to worry about an overarching 
control over everything. The Lumina kind of takes all these different pieces, the desktop environment takes all these different pieces, and it allows the user simple access and simple control to all these pieces. So for instance, you'd have a task manager at the bottom of the screen or the top of the screen or whatever, giving you an icon or a little button for every single window that's available. So instead of having to find all these windows all over the screen, you could just go to that button and say, oh, open that one, go to that one, close that one, whatever it is. It kind of takes an overarching view of using the window manager and all these windows. It also ties into the uh, freedesktop.org standards, which are just you know open source standards for Linux and BSDs in general, for where to put files on the system, how to uh, register that what applications are available, how to register what applications work with what types of files, and things like that. Window managers don't deal with anything there. They just kind of do their one thing and say, oh, a window's opening, I'm going to let you move it. The desktop environment says, oh, that window specifically is for this application. We can let the user run it because it was registered over here, and this is how to start it up. So, it, again, it takes an overarching view, kind of encompassing and providing the glue for everything, while also providing a uniform theme and appearance for the user so they don't have to worry about all the back-end little pieces. It's all very unified then. Given that it's based on the Qt toolkit, does this mean that it plays nicely with applications written for the KDE environment? Yes, it does. Uh, most of the KDE stuff is also written in Qt. You just have to be careful that KDE has re-implemented a lot of Qt stuff, which means that applications written specifically for KDE might also depend on the KDE libraries, not just Qt. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm sure a lot of people might ask, you know, are you nuts? What are you thinking trying to make yet a whole nother <laughs> desktop environment? You know, and, you know, every, every songwriter is allowed to write more songs and every painter is allowed to make more paintings. So, you know, every programmer is allowed to do whatever they'd like with their free time. So, you know, you don't really have to justify it to anybody. But I am curious as to sort of why you took this on as a project. Well, mainly, I kept getting frustrated. I mean, I run uh, FreeBSD and PCBSD on my desktop system at home, not just for me, but for my wife as well. And I've been doing so for many, many years now. And I just kept getting frustrated with all these desktop environments breaking in weird and strange and unexplained ways. And when you track them down, they're almost always related to some kind of Linux system or what I like to call Linuxism something that managed to bleed through the porting process from Linux to BSD because pretty much all these other major desktop environments are all written on Linux for Linux, and they don't port very easily or very well. So I eventually was like, okay, somebody, one, we need something that's more stable and you know that's just easier to use for my wife and, and everything, so I'm trying to make this as easy and intuitive as possible. But again, written for the BSDs, it uses a lot of the BSD systems. So I don't need to worry about, you know, oh, they've now tied in dependence on system D for, you know, KDE or GNOME or whatever it is, you know, your desktop environment of the day. Well, BSD doesn't have system D, so what are they going to do? You know, you know, you don't have to worry about all those things anymore. We now have something specifically for the BSDs that's stable and reliable. That was kind of my impetus for why I wanted to do with it wanted to build a new desktop environment. At this point, how far along in the process are you? 
Um, I would say it's still an alpha quality at the moment, but it is very rapidly approaching beta status. Um, earlier today, in fact, we just tagged a version 0.6.1, which basically means that almost all of the major systems for a desktop environment are now implemented, created, and in place. I mean some flexibility in the scope of stuff that they uh, interact with is still a little bit limited at the moment. I haven't expanded them to cover everything yet, but all the systems at least are in place and they work well. I can imagine there's a million different things people might request. You know, Do you have an easy, oh, yeah. an easy way to change the background wallpaper? Do you have an easy way to make cool clocks? Or, you know, and I guess for me, it's actually a little fuzzy you know, where are the boundary between your desktop environment and the just regular desktop apps are, you know, in the sense of mm-hmm. a utility to configure your wireless card. Some people might place as a little applet in whatever, you know, taskbar. I mean, we're starting to use terminology that's specific to specific operating yeah. systems. But, you know, at what point do you end up trying to place every conceivable feature in the desktop environment rather than just having it be someone else's applications? Yeah, well, I think that's kind of one of the places where Lumina takes a different approach than the standard desktop environments, because Lumina is very, very minimalistic. By itself, it does not come with much at all. It is just the binary that you use to actually start the desktop and let the desktop run, and then a couple small utilities that I've written to go alongside that. One for uh, launching, for instance, you give it a file and it finds the appropriate application to open that file. Uh, and then a file manager. Those are kind of the two big utilities. And then the only other one that is available right now is what I call Lumina Config, and that's just the configuration utility for managing and changing all the Lumina settings. So really, it's just those four pieces at the moment. There are a couple other little pieces that I've ta- I've thought about making, like you know a screen desktop capture uh, snapshot utility, a little tiny thing. Because again, that's all in pure Qt. I don't need to rely on any uh, extra dependencies for that. I could probably write it in a couple days if I needed to. But that's again, it just comes down to the point. It's like, okay, is this going beyond the boundaries of a desktop environment, or am I writing applications now? Because the goal of Lumina is not to provide applications. I'm not expected to write an application for every type of thing that a user might want to do. I'm not going to write a full-on multimedia player to replace VLC, for instance, or to replace some other multimedia player of the day. So my job is just to say, okay, here's a file manager because that's kind of essential for how you interact with the system itself and ties a lot into the desktop as well for setting things like preferences and favorites and and stuff like that. But other than that, there's very little that comes with Lumina. Whereas if you look at something, let's take KDE, for instance. KDE comes with a web browser, Conquer. Um, It comes with uh, multimedia players. It comes with... Oh, I'm trying to think what else it's got. It office applications. It's got you know everything you can think of. They try to cover something for everything, and usually those aren't the applications you're actually going to want to use. You go install a third-party Office program, for instance, like OpenOffice or LibreOffice, just because K Office doesn't cut it. So I don't want to make poorly designed utilities just so I cover all my bases. I'd rather not have anything there and tell the user they need to install a third-party application. Than to do, than to have poorly written applications. 
Well, you know, I can imagine, you know, even saying the words just a file manager, that simple thing itself could have a fair amount to it. I mean, if you've got, you know, quick file preview or what if they want their file manager to be able to speak, you know, the SSH protocol and NFS and, exactly. you know, I mean, there's a billion other things, I guess you could just bake into that one seemingly simple exactly. thing. Exactly. That's kind of why I limited Lumina to just the file manager that it would work on, because at its core, it's very, very minimal. It only takes Qt and the Qt Phonon framework. Um, other than that, everything else is optional. What I'm doing is I'm writing it so that if people want to have network functionality, it will look to see if you have those network utilities available. If not, no problem. It just won't make those options available. If it is there, though, then it will say, oh, okay, you, I see that you have, let's see, a Samba on here or something. Do you want to see your list of computers that you can connect to through Samba? That kind of thing. So I, I kind of take that approach to it where the utility itself is small, but it can do a whole lot more if you install other utilities to do things more co- that are more complicated like networking. Or, or ZFS snapshot exposure, that yes. kind of stuff, yeah. That was actually one of the things. I actually did write that into the file manager right away because it's something that we run into on PCBSD quite a bit. Um, I actually wrote the ability to restore files from ZFS snapshots if you have ZFS snapshots on your system. Again, it doesn't run a lot of ZFS utilities. It's just something where passively it looks and says, oh, I detect that you have ZFS snapshots available of this directory. And it puts a button down at the bottom saying you have older versions of files available. You click that, and then it just lets you see all those older versions of files and you know copy them back into your main directory if you'd like. It makes it really nice and easy for people to use ZFS because I haven't really seen any other file managers use it because, again, most file managers are written for Linux, and Linux doesn't really have good ZFS support, at least not at the current time. There is ZFS on Linux, but it's, it's something that people have to do on their own. Now, as, as a BSD-first desktop environment, are there other unique or interesting things about FreeBSD that you get to take advantage of that make this desktop environment uh, pretty nifty? Um, trying to think. I think the main thing is just that it doesn't rely on a lot of the Linux systems. It doesn't use HAL. It doesn't use uh, SystemD. It doesn't use or depend on any of those other big Linux kernel you know, interaction or Linux system interaction methods. So it's very, very light. And I think on my laptop when I'm running it, it's maybe 100 to 150 megabytes of RAM. Um, when I'm using it, and it's just extremely light, extremely fast, and extremely flexible. So I'd say that's not specific to FreeBSD, but just in general, that's a really big win for the BSDs because we don't have to worry about using all these big and heavy utilities from Linux. And if people are excited to go try it, what's the best way for them to take it out for a spin? Well, right now, the easiest way to do it is through PCBSD. Uh, PCBSD is specifically on the Edge repository. That repo is building packages, which include Lumina. I think they're building twice a day or something. So if you wanted to keep up with the daily development of Lumina, you could just you know connect and point to your uh, system to the Edge repo and update your packages every day, and you'll have the latest version of Lumina as of that day. So as as a easy package for PCBSD, you can switch. Mm-hmm. They can switch safely to Lumina, and then if they need to switch back, they aren't sort of in a one way upgrade here. 
No, it's not a one-way upgrade. Um, when you install Lumina, it just installs it on the system and it creates an entry for it in the login manager. So all you have to do is at the login manager, you say, oh, I want to log into Lumina. Play around with it for a while. If you like it, great. Continue to use it. If not, just log out and log into some other desktop environment. There's nothing. It won't mess up anything else. Even though it uses Fluxbox in the back end, you can still use pure Fluxbox and it won't mess up any of Fluxbox's settings. It, Lumina keeps everything very separate. So, yeah, it's perfectly safe to try it. And assuming your desktop environment that you were trying out prior to Lumina follows the free desktop standards, your menus and various applications Mm -hmm. and everything should be listed like they were before. Exactly. Uh, So something like XFCE. If you went through and installed a bunch of applications and installed a bunch of XFCE utilities, when you're in Lumina, you'll be able to see those XFCE utilities just like you could when you were in XFCE. So they're all registered using that common format, so any of them can see them, can see all those applications. And if people want to take a peek at the source code and maybe pitch in with bugs or uh, documentation, how can they get involved in the project? Uh, go to the PCBSD GitHub page. If you go into the main uh, PCBSD repo there, there is a subdirectory called Lumina. And then right in there, I have a few files. I have a roadmap for where Lumina is going and what it's already done. I have licensing information. If you want to build it yourself not on PCBSD or you know, say you want to build it on OpenBSD or something, there's a dependencies file right there as well. So you can make sure that you can install those dependencies and build it yourself. So you know, you mentioned the PCBSD repos. What is this project's relationship to PCBSD or your relationship to PCBSD? Well, I actually work for PCBSD on a daily basis, full-time, and they help to, I don't know, I suppose sponsor is the best way to say it, the Lumina project. It's kind of become a parallel or tangential project to PCBSD because they both focus on different things. Lumina focuses on a desk or um, operating system agnostic desktop environment, whereas PCBSD is a FreeBSD specific utilities for specifically for configuring and using FreeBSD. So they work very well together because Lumina just points to a lot of the PCBSD utilities if you're running it on PCBSD, of course. And so it just uses all of those for things like configuring your networking or you know configuring different hardware stuff because PCBSD is specifically designed for managing the FreeBSD operating system and the hardware through that. So how did your life journey lead you to writing a desktop environment? You know, how did you end up getting interested in Unix and BSD and, and end up here? Well, that's actually an interesting story because I never actually took up programming at all. I like to say it was kind of forced upon me. Um, I had my first introduction to computer programming as a college class. It was just because it was a requirement for me to get my major in undergraduate. And I liked it. I thought it was cool, but it's like, no, I'm going to keep going. I'll do my major. And then um, I got an internship with uh, the uh, Air Force Institute of Technology between undergraduate and grad school, and I went and worked with them for a while, and it was all computer programming again. So it's like, oh, okay, I'll do this. I like it. It's fun, but okay, now it's time to go and start grad school, and I'll leave behind this computer programming stuff. So I got into grad school, you know, finished up, got into the first year of classes, found a... Um, 
advisor, he got me into a project and he said, oh, by the way, you're going to be working with this other guy. He'll be doing most of the science-y math stuff for you. I want you to program it all for him. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, okay, I guess I'm doing more computer programming again. So that was kind of just how I got started in computer programming in general. And then while I was still in grad school, my brother, Chris Moore, he's actually the founder of PCBSD. He contacted me and said, hey, we need some help, you know, doing some stuff on PCBSD. I know you're in grad school, but could you, you know, put in like some part-time work or something, just testing applications, making sure that our PBI files work and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, sure. So I started off part-time with PCBSD while I was still in grad school, just managing their PBI files and repositories, testing applications to make sure they work, fixing them when they don't, stuff like that that I could do on the evenings or on the weekends. And then once I finished grad school, the guys over at IX Systems told me, hey, as soon as you're done with school, you let us know and we'll hire you full-time to work on PCBSD, full-time. And so that's what I did. When I finished grad school, I moved down to Tennessee, started working full-time on PCBSD. Now, when you say full-time at PCBSD, that's full-time on other things besides Lumina, right? Yes, that is other things aside from Lumina. And then uh, Lumina was a side and back project I'd been working on on weekends and nights when I had insomnia for you know, going on a couple years now. I think in some of the source files, I still have a copyright of 2012 in there. But, you know, just occasionally I'd get on, I'd write a class, I'd, you know, play around with things and figure out what worked and what didn't, just to kind of get an idea of what it would take to do something as big as a desktop environment. And then when I finally got it to a workable state, uh, Chris at the PCBSD project told me, hey, why don't you go ahead and merge it into our repos? We'll build packages for it, and you can start doing a little bit of work on that, you know, during the day as well, because we finally gotten to the point in PCBSD where almost all the graphical utilities, which is kind of what I was working on at the moment, we pretty much had graphical utilities for almost everything now. I mean, there were still things to fix and tweak and some utilities that needed rewriting, but there was now room for some other big project, and Lumina has kind of filled that gap. So I'm actually spending a lot of time during the week on Lumina now, as well as the PCBSD utilities. So just doing a lot of both, and it's really good to be able to have a job where that gives me that flexibility to work on a project like this. Well, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, from what I've seen of it, it's uh, you know, it looks like a you know minimal but but clean desktop environment, and it mm -hmm. doesn't seem to you know, utilize design elements that are really far afield from what people are used to. I think it, it at least yeah. to me seems like something that if you've used some of the, you know, other desktop environments in normal computing, that it won't seem like an alien environment to you. Yes. If you're familiar with computers at all, anything before Windows 8 and that mess that that is, if you're used to any kind of standard desktop system, you'll be perfectly fine with Lumina. Um, there are some differences that are going in and actually have gone in the last couple days where I'm trying to take the traditional desktop approach um, and then I'll start tweaking things and just modifying a little bit for the modern times. So it still looks and behaves like a standard desktop, but you might have some nicer and quicker ways to access things. For instance, by default, within the last few days, I rewrote what's called the uh, user button, which by default is in the upper left corner. And what we have done is instead of having the system of desktop icons where you have them, I'm, I'm sure you've seen systems like this where you just have, you know, 100 or 200 desktop icons cluttering up the screen. 
And just the way the desktop was designed was that you're it's supposed to be quick access to something on your system. But it quickly became just abused by people putting everything and its brother on the desktop because it was there. And then all of a sudden it wasn't so quick to find anything anymore. You were trying to, it's like, okay, read the little text underneath the huge icon, which is exactly the same as 50 other icons like that. And it just wasn't very easy. So what I did is I have incorporated all of the desktop system of desktop icons and stuff and actually put that into a menu button so that when you click up there, it actually reads everything off of your desktop and then it sorts them and puts them in different categories and it classifies those as your favorites so that you have quick access to them. So for instance, any applications that you would normally have on your desktop are now in a menu of favorite applications and they're all alphabetized so it's very easy to find whatever application it is you're looking for. Similarly, it categorizes them and finds directories that you had on the desktop or files that you have on the desktop and alphabetizes them and again, makes them very easy to find. So that's just one, one of the improvements that I've tried to put into the desktop system. So now instead of um, reserving the entire screen space for all these little tiny desktop icons all over the place, I've taken the approach more of, I don't know, I'd say like Android or KDE's uh, Plasma. I think it's Plasma. Is there a desktop system where you can put widgets and little applications and stuff on your desktop? So you can customize your desktop to make it useful instead of just becoming a massive folder of gunk. And hopefully you're not spending too much time making uh, wiggly windows and desktop fire <laughs> effects. No, not at the moment. I, do, I don't plan on stuff like that. Pretty much all I've done is that uh, Qt has just a simple flag you can set saying, oh, any menus that open up, you can either fade them in or have them animate their movement in. So I think I turned on the uh, animate but that's about as far as I've gone. <laughs> the desktop is supposed to be minimal and not, you know, not at the forefront. If you're spending more of your time on the desktop instead of in an application, there's something wrong with you because the whole point of a computer is usually about using the applications, not using the desktop. Yeah, basically to allow people to find the Firefox icon, which they open to do the rest of their work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or the browser of their choice. So. so what's the point of making a desktop environment that eats up half the RAM on your computer when it really should be the least used thing there except for trying to launch and run other things? So keep it small, keep it light, keep it unobtrusive, but make it easy for the user to access it and make the changes they need to as they need to. And being BSD licensed, or at least in that family of permissive licenses, is great. I think the Enlightenment desktop environment is the only other one that's that's that way. I think so. Yes. So, well, great, great. Well, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing the project progress, and uh, I wish you luck, good sleep. You know, I don't want to wish insomnia on anyone, but it's amazing what comes out of those kind of evenings. Oh yes. All right. Well, well thank you very much. All right. Will we see you at Meet BSD in California? As far as I know, I'm not planned or scheduled to go to that one, so no, probably no. not. I did just get my acceptance for a talk actually about Lumina at Ohio Linux Fest, though. Oh, great. And that's end of September, if I remember right. Or, no, end of October? Yeah. End of October. So I will be up there, and I'll be giving a talk actually on Lumina. So if you want to come and meet up with me and talk and sit and chat or tell me about your cool ideas for something else that needs to be added to the Lumina desktop, I'll be there. Yeah. Or how about any, any plans for uh, Euro BSDCon or BSDCAN? I guess once you get on, on you know, get a talk ready, you might be able to get to some of those. <laughs> 
Yeah, not at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I'm still working on Lumina so hard. It's it's still pre-release, so I'm always hesitant to go out advertising it until it's you know into a, in a better state. But once I think once we hit official beta, by the time Ohio Linux Fest comes around, is probably a good time where we'll be official beta, and I think I can start advertising it then. That's probably when I'll start doing more talks and maybe writing articles for magazines and stuff like that. All right. Okay, well, thanks for taking some time out of your evening to talk to me, and uh, good luck with everything. Well, thank you very much. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. You can also find archives at archive.org. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. This has been BST Talk number 244. Thank you for listening.